Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua. I am your host, and today's episode will be continuing on with the Sermon on the Mount. We are getting out of the Beatitudes and moving into salt and light and all of the other wonderful things that follow. So for uh, just a heads up, anybody that is relatively new, I would highly suggest at least going back to the beginning of this season if you are interested in this biblical take on worldview and government and our role in the world, that kind of thing. Also, if you are into everything that is discussed on this podcast, either go back all the way to the beginning of the show, season one, episode one, or at the very least, go back to the previous season, season four, where I basically went over all the content that has been covered throughout the entirety of this podcast, but looked at it from a more macro view, making some uh, more... I guess, macro connections between different things, different events, different people, different things like this, as uh, basically I covered the evolution of society, of the systems that we live in, of mainly government, uh, education, money, these types of things, finance, all of these things, they're all tied together. And where did they start? How did they begin? How have they changed? How have they evolved? In what ways have they been corrupted? And uh, who has been involved in these types of things? Uh, What patterns can we find by looking at history and at these uh, different cycles and patterns, as well as looking at these institutions and systems and how they parallel each other in so many different ways? And so that is what basically the podcast has been about. But what season four definitely focuses on is going back and looking at all of those things, and uh, not only the history and the patterns and modern day, but also even looking to the future. What does this tell you about what's coming? What shifts are happening? What are the trends? All of these kinds of things. So if you have not followed the podcast up until now, um, I would highly suggest you at least go back and do season four, uh, just to really get that perspective on where we are, where we've been, where we're going, what's going on. And it will definitely help this season, season five, make a lot more sense. And it definitely ties a lot of things in because season five is basically, well, what does this mean for the Christian? How does the Christian then live their life according to scripture? but in the context of, again, everything that has been covered on the show, and also in the context of what's going on today and what Scripture tells us about living life as a Christian. So with all that said, I will get back to the current content, which is moving on through the Sermon on the Mount. And we just finished up the Beatitudes last time, so now we're moving on to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, with salt and light. So I'll read verses 13 through 16. You are salt for the land, but if salt becomes tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except being thrown out for people to trample on. You are the light for the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Likewise, when people light a lamp, they don't cover it with a bowl, but put it on a lampstand, so it shines for everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people, so that they may see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. So these are the things that we're going to be focusing on, and this will take us a little while, probably a few episodes to get through all this, but uh, I want to just start off with a bit of an overview and then get into some of these uh, specific things verse by verse. So, 
in general, Yeshua wraps up the Beatitudes with what I would call this being a summary and elaboration. The summary is that we are to be set apart, different, morally abnormal, as an example to all of God's principles and his love. So we are showing people what are God's principles, what does his love look like. The elaboration aspect is the use of the short parables on salt and light. So they elaborate on this idea by using these parables and metaphors. We are called to live righteously. This is done through visible deeds. Our visible individual righteousness draws others to God. This is done without coercion or force. It is not focused on negative proclamations, but rather on speaking and living positively. This isn't to say that we never call out sin and evil, just that these shouldn't be our main goal. Our main goal is to be salt and light, to highlight, to draw out, to live out, and to set standards for good, and to preserve biblical principles. Whether viewed from an individual perspective or the corporate church as a whole, the goal is to influence those around us and society as a whole. We want our light to shine for everyone so that they may see the good things we do and praise our Father in heaven. Of course, this is contrasted as opposites in the kingdom of man. Instead of being different from society, the kingdom of man seeks standardization, uniformity, Instead of God's divine principles, secularization and relative morality. Instead of righteousness, peace, and voluntarism, it uses corruption, force, and coercion. The state highlights, acts out, and sets standards for evil. They are exact opposites. It preserves worldly morals systematically and makes a point of focusing on the negative aspect of people, not adhering to their value system. So again, it's just in its structure, in its very structure, the state, the kingdom of man is set up as an opposite to the kingdom of God, the way that it is laid out by Yeshua here in Matthew chapter 5. Just like much of the Beatitudes that we've been covering and much of everything. But uh, yes, so moving on. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 specifically says, "'You are salt for the land.'" But if salt becomes tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except being thrown out for people to trample on. So there's a lot going on here, especially when we dig into uh, some of this stuff and look at the culture at the time and history and all kinds of different aspects here. One who does good works is like salt that is truly salty. That's what's uh, being said here at the beginning. They are fulfilling their function as expected and are very useful because of this. Just as salt is often used as a seasoning to bring out flavor in food, Christians are used to season human society to bring out the meaning of abundant and joyful life. And that is something that we are to do as Christians, to be the salt spread throughout society, bringing out the goodness, the godly principles, the love, and seasoning this world. That's one of our purposes in being here. Salt is commonly used as a preservative as well. Just as the Christian is to preserve God's principles in action until he returns so that the whole of humanity doesn't decay and become completely rotten and useless for God's purposes. 
That's basically what happens when you have no salt on meat. It goes bad. It rots. It does not last. But if you salt meat heavily, then that meat will be preserved for a very long time. And that's a principle that is being used here. It's uh, in other foods as well. But as a Christian, that's what our, one of our other roles in society is to make sure that God's standards, God's principles, God's ways are upheld, that someone is that remnant that's holding on, that is preserving society. If all of society went totally corrupt and evil, uh, what do you think would happen? Well, we have an example of that in Noah's time, and it, it did not go well at all, and God wiped it all away. And so that is definitely not something we would ever want to happen again. And one of our roles as salt, as Christians, is to preserve uh, this goodness, this godliness that does exist in human society and in humanity. We are to preserve that and to keep evil and darkness from totally taking over. Now, salt is also used as a sign of an oath or a covenant, especially in this day and age when Yeshua was speaking. An oath of salt was considered permanent and everlasting, and it was commonly used by people in the Middle East in those times. Uh, God made everlasting covenants with humanity, and we are a symbol of this, ensuring that at least a remnant of humanity will always exist to fulfill humanity's role in the covenant. So this is another part of our role here as human beings on this earth, God's creation, is that uh, we are a an example. Us as Christians in a human society are an example of God's covenant with humanity, God's covenant with the world that it will not be destroyed by flood ever again. That is a covenant that God made, and that was an everlasting covenant. That was, uh, in a sense, a covenant made with salt, that type of covenant. And we as Christians are to uh, be an example of this, and we are to, again, preserve, we are to season, and we are to be an example of this covenant that God has made with humanity to be here with us, to be here for us, to protect us, to never wipe out everything on earth again by water. And uh, that is another role that we play here, is being that aspect of this eternal covenant with God. Now, while the land in particular is generally a reference to the boundaries of the nation of Israel, and it does specifically say, you are the salt for the land, and that in the complete Jewish Bible, at least, the land, land is capitalized, and that is specifically what it is speaking of. Um, that is uh, what that phrase refers to. And even though this is the case, the imagery here should be applied to all the earth and all humanity just as the concept of God's people Israel is clearly expanded to all peoples throughout Scripture, and that is used over and over again and said explicitly as well as implicitly. So, um, yes, while there are definite aspects of this, for example, you are the salt for the land that the people he is speaking to are salt to that immediate area area around them, the say the boundaries of the nation of Israel. And Yeshua said he would go to Israel first before going out to the Gentiles, and that's what he told the disciples to do as well. And so, yes, there is this uh, very direct reference to that, and that is what's being said. But also, at the same time, what is being said is something that goes way beyond this, because Yeshua does expand this out and does talk about reaching all peoples and all nations and uh, being sought for the entire earth, that those things are 
referenced as well later, uh, again, directly, as well as indirectly. And so this is something that uh, applies to the people he was speaking to, to be salt for the land in that area and in their immediate lives in the time that he was speaking, but also applies to us and everyone in between and everyone after that this is our role as being a part of the kingdom of God. And we are to salt the land. We are to be salt for the land, and the land is all of God's dominion, which is the entire earth. So it's not just the nation of Israel, it is the entire earth. Now, often salt was gathered directly, not through evaporation. So while there are many ways of um, attaining salt, salt in this region was often gathered just directly as salt. When this method is used, there are a lot of impurities that are then in the gathered salt, the gathered substance that people get. And over time, what can happen is the salt can leach out, which then leaves only the useless residue without any saltiness. Sound familiar? So this is something that is also being referenced to about losing the saltiness of the salt. That was a thing that did happen. Humans were also gathered from the earth and have many natural impurities. Over time, they either have the godly tendencies leach out, leaving them unsalty, or the impurities are removed, leaving them as salt with the fullness of saltiness, gaining righteousness through their lives. And I would say through, as in throughout their lives, as they go through the continual process of sanctification, as well as through their lives, in the sense that their actions and lifestyle are a method used to grow in righteousness. It's both things. Now, that just happens over and over and over again in Scripture, where it's not one or the other. It's not either or, it's both and. Um, So long as that is backed up by Scripture, then that is usually the way that uh, I believe Scripture should be read. Now, with this, the same is true in reverse, At times, a stockpile of salt could have impurities introduced over time and become less and less pure. This happens as well. They didn't have uh, airtight containers that everybody used in every household uh, in the same way that we do today. Many times things were a lot more lax. And while they did have these technologies and various other technologies that serve the same purpose, um, the normal household did not contain something... Um, uh, like the abundance of Tupperwares and uh, completely sealed homes and cabinets and things like this that uh, keep out a lot more things than what they were exposed to in this time period. So you could have impurities that are introduced over time. And again, you have uh, the salt becoming less pure. Now, after a certain threshold is reached, the salt would then lose its saltiness through this dilution via contamination. And this is the other risk for Christians to have our saltiness diluted and ruined through the continual introduction of impurities and sin. So we've got both things going on where as humans, we naturally have impurities. We have issues. We we are definitely not naturally righteous. We have this sin that is in our lives. And uh, this is something that Ideally, through the process of sanctification, through growing as a Christian, we start to deal with these impurities, and the the Holy Spirit helps us to filter out these impurities and 
get more and more salty over time. That That's what should happen. Now, um, sometimes, again, you go to parables such as uh, the seed that's scattered on the road, and there's other examples like that, but sometimes someone can be all gung-ho for God and become a Christian, and he's, you know, all ready to go, but then over time, those Christian uh, motivations and principles and things that they stand for start to leach out, and that those are leaching out instead of the impurities leaching out, and then you're left with just the impurities. Now, again, we have this other aspect where even a Christian with good intentions that is doing very well, they filtered out a lot of these impurities, and they're doing great, there still are plenty of impurities and sin that still do plague people who are good, solid Christians that are honestly trying to live very well. That once you are have filtered out, say, a large portion, at least, of the natural impurities that exist in you, then that, that doesn't mean you're just good to go the rest of your life and everything's hunky-dory and you just try to work on these tiny little things. No, we live in a fallen world and there are still plenty of impurities and sin that surround us at all times. And those can come and dilute our saltiness. They can be added to who we are. We can become part of that. We can join in that. We can uh, let it enter us and dilute the saltiness that we have, and then we lose our saltiness. And so those are both things that we continually have to work on, both filtering out the impurities that already exist, as well as keeping out further impurities from coming in. Now, since mankind is supposed to live according to God's standards, and Christians in particular are to epitomize this to the fullest, one who does not is not salty. They either never were salt, or they have lost their saltiness. Those who claim to be a part of God's kingdom, but do not show it through their actions, have no saltiness. Neither do those who subcontract their duties to others, such as having the state or other institutions care for the poor, or preach the good news, or uh, to live out righteously on their own behalf. That is not how it works. That, that person is not acting as salt. They are uh, subcontracting that out to somebody else. Salt without saltiness is destroyed and is used to destroy. It is both thrown out and trampled on, and it prevents growth and kills vegetation wherever it is thrown. That is something that was used by the Romans and many other cultures where if they would come through an area and they didn't want the people to be able to come back and farm the land and grow food for themselves, they would salt the whole area and destroy not only the growth there, but the continuation of growth for years to come often. So God portrays states in similar ways. States are destroyed and are used to destroy others. Over time, all states lose their saltiness. They begin to season with manipulation, coercion, force, preserving evil, and corruption. Salt like this, or states like these, are eventually destroyed and thrown out, trampled on by others. They are not only bringing out the flavor of sinful human nature, but they also snuff out many Christian efforts and the full teaching of God's principles in their society. And this is something where, I mean, even God himself acts this out and carries this out, where uh, he often used states in the Old Testament 
to carry out his wrath. He used those states to destroy and to prevent growth thereafter. He used these states to punish certain people, and this was used um, all kinds of people. You have Babylon, you have, uh, I believe, Ahab, and I'm not really sure who else. I can't remember off the top of my head, but there are many different people. There are kings that he calls his his scepter. There are kings that uh, he calls agents of his wrath, all of these kinds of things. They were not Christian kings by any means, but God did use them for his purposes— and uh, those were his purposes at the time, uh, same as how salt is used um, in this way, salt that is not salty. It is good for throwing out, to be trampled on, to destroy. And uh, states, they are, by their very nature, I would argue at least, are not salty. They are not um, a Christian thing. They're not a good thing, a righteous thing. They're not a godly thing. In fact, when the Israelites asked to create a state to have a king, God directly said, this is a rejection of myself. So by definition, he is saying that having a king is the opposite and a rejection and the negative um, other side of having God as your ruler. And you can only have one. You can only serve one master. You can't have the two. And so you pick. And when they asked for a human ruler, uh, God said that was a rejection of himself. The, you picked the kingdom of man over the kingdom of God. And again, that's what God said. So that's not really something that uh, I think is debated all that much or should be. And that's where we're left when we are looking at this aspect of, of salt. We have all of these different things where it basically you have many different ways that salt was used the context that the people listening to Yeshua would have heard this in, they would have thought of probably all of these different examples, because all the things that I said were things that were going on in that time frame and used by uh, nations all around them. So uh, none of this would have been uh, something that was new to them. It's not like, oh, you know, they wouldn't have thought of that. For us, we don't think of most of these things because we're totally outside of that context. But the people that were hearing this would have thought of probably all of these things that I just said. And it wasn't just uh, one thing or another. It didn't just have one meeting. Again, there's just all of these uh, different things that all come together. Now, as we get into the next part, it gets a little much. So, I am really not sure how much more we're going to do. So I'm looking ahead at my notes here, and the next part is the... Uh, I'll go ahead and read the verses. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are light for the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Likewise, when people light a lamp, they don't cover it with a bowl, but put it on a lampstand so that it shines for everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they may see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. What I'll do is I'll go ahead and cover a little bit about light specifically, and then I'll stop there, and I guess next episode we'll cover um, the interplay between salt and light and bring these two together. So uh, light provides sight and reveals what otherwise can't be seen. That's just what it does. Our light is connected to our good deeds, as it is said in these verses. This light is beneficial to all. It both helps others and it draws others. As God blesses us, we reflect his love, his light, 
and let that shine out to others as we bless them as well. This provides help to others as well as encouraging them to not pursue evil, both because they now see how they should live and because they wouldn't want their evil to be seen in the light. So there are many different ways that uh, light plays out this aspect of showing godliness and reflecting God. Where there is light, there cannot be darkness. It just doesn't exist. That's by definition, darkness is the absence of light. As light shines, it dispels the darkness and reveals what was there, namely the sin that was lying unobserved. As you let your light shine, not only will it reveal sin in others, but also your own. So if you are not salty, not living out the Beatitudes, not following God's path, then your light is highlighting your sin. When you advertise sin instead of godliness, your light has lost its original purpose and now no longer the light of enlightenment and illumination. So uh, we do have to be careful. Again, just like salt can lose its saltiness, uh, light can you lose its strength. It can become dim, and it can become so dim that it becomes dark. And even a dim light, though, does not serve the purposes that a light should. Again, if you set a lampstand in the room so that you can see the entire room and it lights up the room, well, wonderful. That's a great purpose. If you set uh, the tiniest candle in the world on a little table in the middle of a room and you can only see three inches around it, that does not serve much of a purpose if your purpose is to light up the room. And I think it's very clear in these verses that we are to do more than just light up our little circle, that uh, we are to be a light and to be uh, reflecting the light of God to society, to all of the people around us. Now, the state, when we get to it, is an entity that operates in a shroud of darkness, just by definition. And uh, that's what it does. It specifically operates in a place that others cannot see. Whereas godly light is connected with good deeds, darkness comes with the connotation of evil and secrecy. There are hidden agendas, immoral dealings, and connections to evil individuals. When the state is full of corrupted individuals, our role is to shine light on this from the outside. Light to shine on darkness. We shine light on the evils associated with the state, but not from within this evil institution, but as the remnant that is set apart and holy, the city on a hill that is above and outside the rest of the land. So again, there, there are ways you can interpret this differently, but it would not match the rest of the context of the verses before and after. So again, you could say, well, oh, well, then we need good godly Christians in the state to shine light from within. You know, the state is a room. We need to put a lampstand in it so we can see everything. Uh, that doesn't really fit the context of everything else in the other verses, although by itself isolated, maybe that does make sense. Yes. But when you put it in the context of everything else, that just does not fit what is said before and what is said after, and some verses that I'll read here in just a minute. The state is a city underground. It's a city of darkness, a place where light is discouraged by far. If we are simply a single light within the underground castle of the state, we are essentially covered from lighting the surrounding area. If instead we are outside of this castle and on a hill in the open, we are then able to be a light for all seen for great distances. 
Now, uh, let me read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 17. For you used to be darkness, but now, united with the Lord, you are light. Live like children of light, for the fruit of the light is in every kind of goodness, rightness, and truth. Try to determine what will please the Lord. Have nothing to do with the deeds produced by darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things these people do in secret. But everything exposed to the light is revealed clearly for what it is, since anything revealed is a light. That is why it says, Get up, sleeper, arise from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. Therefore, pay careful attention to how you conduct your life. Live wisely, not unwisely. Use your time well, for these are evil days. So don't be foolish, but try to understand what the will of the Lord is. So as much as possible, we should be seeking and promoting alternatives to the systems of the kingdom of man, options that are in line with God's truth without the levels of impurities that exist in this kingdom. And uh, when I read that, you should definitely see the interplay between light and darkness. Don't be involved with darkness and what people do in secret. Those are evil things. Instead, be the light that uh, you might reveal these things, but you are not a part of these things. So um, a few questions for you. Is your local school teaching truth? Do companies that you buy from source from immoral sweatshops? Are your local politicians supporting laws and regulations not in line with God's principles? You will not be shining light on the ungodly aspects of the institutions of the kingdom of man if you are supporting them and using them yourself. People need to see your good deeds to see you as set apart, to identify you as having opposing values. To do this, you must be largely outside of these systems, distancing yourselves from the corruptions and castles of darkness. This is not to say that we shouldn't interact with others who are supporting um, these systems. On the contrary, we are to preach to them, to educate them, to shine on and for them. We, however, should never be a part of the same corruptions. In our midst, among those who call themselves Christians, there should be no participation with evil and corruption. What does light have to do with darkness? These are characteristics of the kingdom of man, not the kingdom of God. Our light should highlight these differences. Our light shows brightly the character of both our own kingdom and the kingdom of man, showing clearly what it means to love and in contrast, how the world misses the mark. And that is our role to play. We are to be the light, not the darkness. We are to shine in the darkness, but not to be a part of the darkness. Those are two different things. So let me read a few verses that kind of talk about some of these things. And, uh, and all of this would be to say that, yes, there are people that uh, believe we should be a part of these systems that we live in, these corrupt systems that are part of the kingdom of man, we should join them and try to reform them and change them and make them better. No, we can't make them perfect. And yes, I still believe in separation of the church and state, but we need godly principles to back the state with, even though they're separate things. But but America's a Christian nation, so we need to get involved and, you know, get it going. And uh, a lot of times those arguments don't really hold up scripturally, but uh, I, I do get the practicality of them. Yes, it is practical that uh, the lesser of two evils is a very practical argument that, yes, I would rather have someone who is bad than someone that is extremely evil. Yes, I totally agree with that. However, uh, in the Bible, 
and the way we are told to act as Christians, we are to have nothing to do with evil. doesn't matter if it's a lesser evil. We are to have nothing to do with it, period. That's not our role as Christians, period. So that's very clear. Now, uh, let me read a few verses here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 13. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual, sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immoral, immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Again, talking about the difference between the kingdom of man versus the kingdom of God. These are two totally different things. We are to be only kingdom of God. Within the kingdom of God, there should be none of this stuff going on. No darkness. And if there is, it should be kicked out and not dealt with in any way. Um, You should not, what I mean by not dealt with is uh, not that you don't call it out. You do call it out and you do not deal with them in a way of uh, hanging out with them and eating with them and pretending like everything's okay. That's not to be done because there needs to be purity and holiness within the kingdom of God. And so any darkness gets purged purge the evil person from among you. And so that is out there, and love is in here. They are two totally separate things. Now, again, it doesn't mean that you can't associate with others that do not claim to be Christians. If they're not claiming to be Christians, they're not being hypocritical. They are not going against uh, God in this very direct way of pretending that they're for him and then truly being against him. Um, It's a totally different world. We are to minister to those people. And uh, yes, so moving on. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. Do not yoke yourselves together in a team with unbelievers. For how can righteousness and lawlessness be partners? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What harmony can there be between the Messiah and Baal? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement can there be between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will house myself in them, and I will walk among you. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, Adonai says, go out from their midst, separate yourselves. Don't even touch what is unclean. Then I myself will receive you. In fact, I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says Adonai Zavaot. Therefore, my dear friends, since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything that can defile either body or spirit and strive to be completely holy out of reverence for God. So I guess my point in uh, calling out these things in the context of being light and talking about light versus darkness, the world versus the kingdom of God, is that uh, basically just that it's a thing, that there is this clear distinction between light and darkness. Uh, Reading the uh, Didache, one of the earliest writings we have from New Testament times, they say it was the writings of the apostles themselves. Uh, in there, it 
starts off by basically saying there are two paths. There's a path of light and a path of darkness, a path of life and a path of death. And it describes what each one of those is and talks about a lot of these different things that are talked about here. And so um, with this, we as Christians and as part of the kingdom of God, we are to be the light. We are to be pure. We are to be salt in a truly salty way. And the kingdom of God is to be this example of, of God, of his love, of his principles, of his goodness, all of these things. There should not be any impurity in that. Again, the leaven should be purged. The impurities in the salt get uh, filtered out and purified. The impurities that try to come in get blocked out and pushed out. The darkness should be uh, totally gone because we are such a bright light up on a hill, on a lampstand, on a table in the middle of a room, shining and revealing everything that was dark. This is the way it should be. You know, again, what does light have to do with darkness? Uh, how can righteousness and lawlessness be partners? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? There, it's just, it's two worlds. There, there are these two things that are very different. Now, very clearly, the state is one, and the, uh, let's just put it this way to be a little less provocative, I guess. Uh, the kingdom of man is one, the kingdom of God is the other. Or often, the way it is worded, is the world and the kingdom of God, or the world and the church. There are, again, many different ways of wording this, but the point is the same. There are two things. And if something is not the kingdom of God, if it is not the church, if it is not that, then it is the other, period. And uh, yes, I don't believe that uh, the two should mix together. And I, I don't believe that because that's what these verses pretty clearly say. So with that said, that does not mean that we remove ourselves from the world, which is what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians in those verses that I read, that uh, it doesn't mean you don't have anything to do with. You don't associate at all with uh, people who are sexually immoral and liars and drunkards and these kinds of things. Uh, and you would think Yeshua would have cleared that up because he ate with them. And Paul says, yes, eat with them. And you need to minister to them. You need to preach to them. You need to be light and salt for them. But you do not allow that within the kingdom of God. So if it's in the kingdom of God, you purge it. But you as Christians, as salt, as the light, you need to be in the world. You need to be um, people who do associate with people of the kingdom of man. You need to be an example to them. Uh, uh, Jesus says, Yeshua says that he came uh, for the sick, not for the healthy. The healthy don't need a doctor. And in theory, the church, the kingdom of God, should not need a doctor either. Um, however, again, he did come to cleanse that as well, because one of the other things he preached a lot on besides the kingdom of God was the corruption of the church of his day. So, um, yeah, there's that. But in general, there should not be the impurities within the light, within the salt, within the church, within the kingdom of God. Those should all be gone. The ones that exist get kicked out. And then the salt, the light, the kingdom of God should be in the world, should be a part of it, should be shining light, should be the salt. It should be doing the things that that God says we should do. It should be living out God's principles. It does say that they will see your actions. It's about your actions. It's not just what you say. It's about what you do. These things should be happening. And in order to do them, we need to be set apart. We need to be outside of the system. We need to be outside of the corruption, outside of the kingdom of man. But we then need to be in it in the sense that we are there shining the light, that we are there being the salt. We're doing the thing. So we're not yoked together with unbelievers in the sense that um, we are a part of these uh, 
things with them in an intimate way, but we are there to be around them, to be with them, to influence them in these types of things. That is our role to play as salt and as light. So I'm going to end it there and cover the uh, broad aspects of salt and light. And then in the next episode, we'll get into how these things uh, play together. There are many aspects where salt and light have uh, commonalities and where those things are used together, especially in this culture and the, the historical time that we're talking about, as well as in other areas of scripture. And so we'll get into all of that as well. And that shines even more light on what this means and especially what these mean together with these verses tied together in the same place, using the same metaphors back to back and in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So... That's where we are going and what we will do next time. And so until then, I ask that you uh, please go and leave a rating or review if you have not done that before. If you have comments, feedback, questions, things like that, please email them to me, ourfoundations at protonmail.com, which is also in the show notes. And I definitely want to say thank you very much to those who are supporting on Patreon and Subscribestar. I really appreciate that. That is, again, how I pay for the things that I pay for. So I just actually had a microphone go out a little while ago and stop working. Probably I moved six months ago or more, but there's been a lot going on here. And in that, I'm guessing something happened. My cord got busted. I can't really tell, uh, but had to buy a new one. And um, that is something that got paid for by... Uh, supporters. And I greatly appreciate that. I actually had to renew the hosting fees for this podcast so that the podcast in its entirety can be heard by anyone, anywhere, anytime if they want to listen to it for free. And uh, that unfortunately is not free, but they are listening to it for free because you help support and pay for this podcast. So thank you very much. If anybody's interested in joining in those endeavors financially, please see the Patreon page or reach out if you want to do cryptocurrency mail cash or a check, anything you want to do, it would be much appreciated. So I guess that is everything that I have. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for being a part of this podcast. Thank you very much for all of your support of all kinds. I'm out. Peace. This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye.